We are into a new season, friends, and, uh, and that's, that's exciting. Uh, we are, we've decided that what we really wanted to do over these next, um, these next few weeks as we start the year, like, shocker, uh, it's about Jesus. We decided that as we start the year, Jesus was going to be our theme, um, Jesus was also our theme in 2021 and 2020. So uh, if you're looking for something like brand new, you're not going to get it. Um, But actually, we are talking about newness a little bit here. We're going to take a look for the next six, seven weeks um, in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to say, really, this this boils down to something quite simple. As we lean into Jesus and become familiar with um, some of the stories of Jesus and teachings of Jesus, some that you may have heard before, some that are going to be a new take, we ask the question, why is this all good news, right? Sometimes we take the good news, the gospel, and the word gospel means good news for those of you that are unfamiliar with that. And so the good news of Mark, the gospel of Mark literally means the good news. So Mark tells this story to offer good news. He tells the story of Jesus. And so the the thing that we can sometimes do is we can say, well, the good news is that like Jesus rose from the dead or Jesus died for our sins. And my goodness, those two things are wonderful news. But the story is told in a way that everything is supposed to point us to good news. All that we see in the gospel is supposed to reveal good news in like an ever, onion's the only thing I can think of, but if you don't like onions, it's a really bad metaphor. But like, like we just continue to, to peel back more and more good news until we get to the beauty of God redeeming all things. Okay? And so, so that's what we want to do. And, um, and, and so... This week, we're just going to start, all these, all these passages that we're looking at are really in the first eight chapters of Mark. And this will lead us, by the way, up to the season of Lent. And then we're going to lean into the, the, why the cross matters in our, in our world today and in our lives as Christians. Um, so, so for the next few weeks, this is where we're at. And so, um, so I'm just going to have some fun with us here. And, and the trust is that this is relevant because, um, because what Jesus said and taught always takes on new meaning when we look at it in the original context and then when we look at it today and say, so why? Why is this good news for me today? What might it change about my day-to-day activities? So, here we go. All right, in the first chapter of Mark, there's, uh, there's no conflict. It's very interesting. Jesus comes onto the scene. He calls disciples. He does some healing. And it's all good. We're just told that people like it. And then we get into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, all of a sudden, we get a plot that starts to form. Okay? And in chapter 2, we meet a whole group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law. Okay? So in Mark chapter 2, as Jesus begins to do these things that are first presented as just wonderful and good news, all of a sudden we find out that other people don't seem to think that the news is so good. All right? What they see is a problem. And they're uncomfortable with some of the things that Jesus does. And so before we get to the passage that we're at, we have to set up what happens just before this in, uh, in Mark 2. So, um, so the first thing that happens is there's a, uh, there's, um, a healing, okay, at the end of, of chapter 1. And that brings a lot more crowds. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, there's another man, and he's healed. But the phrase that Jesus uses is, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And when he says your sins are forgiven, all of a sudden, all of the Pharisees in the group, and the Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. We're not going to get into a lot of the context with it because it's just head knowledge. Um, But the Pharisees were people who followed the Jewish law very well, and they were the leaders of the religious establishment, okay? And so, so the Pharisees heard that Jesus said your sins are forgiven, and this happens outside of any sacrifice that happens. So there's no lamb that's been slaughtered, and they are not at the time, in the temple, where forgiveness is supposed to happen. There is a way of doing things, and Jesus isn't doing them right. And so all of a sudden, you don't just get that this guy's out of line. You get that he's blaspheming. You get that the the attitude is that this guy is dangerous. He is doing things that are outside of the scope of God. And we can't help but notice the irony here, right? Like, God himself is doing things that people look at and say, this is outside of the scope of God. You know, and God gave us this, this system. So it's very, very interesting that we, that we take note of all of these things. And it comes to a head when he meets a guy named Levi. Levi is also known as Matthew in other Gospels. Um, the same Matthew that wrote the good news according to Matthew. Um, but he's called Levi here. It's a Hebrew thing. People have multiple names. It's actually a name. It's, it's a lot of different cultures. People have multiple names. But not as much around here. So get used to it. So he calls this guy named Levi, and Levi is a tax collector. And to be a tax collector, you had to knowingly be doing things that were damaging to your own people. Tax collectors were considered bad sinners. By choosing to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans, what you were doing is you were, you were saying that I will be a part of the oppression to my own people. And usually tax collectors, uh, as a part of the power that they had, were able to set their own rates. So you slice a little off the top, get a little extra for yourself. So tax collectors were part of the more, um, it's interesting because they had more money than a lot of Jewish people, but they were lower in society. So they had already made, they had like traded their souls. (laughs) At least that's how it looked, okay? Um, And so anyways, so Jesus meets this guy. And so they're, they're seen as very, very bad guys to all of the religious establishment because of their practices, of the way that they use money, because of how they've turned against the Jewish people. Really, really ugly folks, according to the religious folks. Um, And they did a lot of bad stuff. So, anyways, Jesus calls this guy named Levi, and I love this. This is great. And so, uh, he says to him, he's sitting in the tax collector's booth, he says, follow me to Levi, right? It's one of those follow me moments. Levi, um, got up and followed him. So whatever was going on, Levi believed that the the story of Jesus and the invitation to follow him was better than the life he was living. But I love, um, I love how this all, uh, how this all happens because um, the, yeah, the Pharisees get all upset. This is where Jesus says the famous phrase, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But what I like is the fact that uh, right after Jesus says, follow me, he he like starts walking and Levi starts following him and Levi's like, this, this seems like a real familiar, you know, like road. And he's like, yeah, because you're following me to your house. You're throwing the party. You've got the money. I don't have any money. So you're bankrolling tonight. So it's really funny because Jesus calls Levi and then goes to Levi's house to actually have a big party and a big banquet. And this raises all kinds of flags. So we get to our story here because the Pharisees look at Jesus celebrating It says uh, in verse 16, this is all the setup. In verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, the ones who knew what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do to make God happy, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Like, he's not allowed to do this, and what's the reason anyways, right? So they start to realize that the way of Jesus is very, very different as a holy man than the way that they've gotten used to it. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not called to come the right, to call the righteous, but sinners, which is an ironic statement, because he's calling them righteous, and yet they're still feeling like he's criticizing them because he's being sarcastic. So, now John's disciples and the Pharisees, we're still, at the, we're still at Levi's house. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. There was a ritual fasting. You would fast for all sorts of different reasons at different times of the week, different times of the year, even different times of the day. Some people came to Jesus and said, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? What's that all about? These guys, they're, they're doing this humble thing where they're fasting and, you know, they're like denying themselves to honor God and your disciples don't seem to care, is what they're saying. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered. Do I have this on the screen? Yeah. Oh, you already did it. Thanks, Ben. Sorry about that. Um, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus is beginning to establish the fact that he will not follow certain religious rules just for the sake of following them. He says, there's no good reason to fast. Now is a time for celebration. It's really interesting. That must have been a raucous party. Must have been a very raucous party at Levi's house because, um, because he's, he's uh, comparing this to a wedding feast, which is a big, massive party. But anyways, he says, this doesn't make any sense. The, I'm, I'm here with them. Now's the time for celebration. There will be a time for fasting. But one of the big differences is that my disciples will know when the correct times are to do certain things. And they won't just do them because the calendar demands that they do it. And so all of a sudden, what you're getting at is you're getting this slight story that says, the way that you have been doing things does not and will not work with the way that I am doing things. It's a statement of incompatibility. Right off the bat, okay? So this is what you need to hear. Jesus is saying, do you realize that the kingdom has arrived? It's time to celebrate. Eventually, it won't be time to celebrate. And then later he tells them in the, in the Gospels, it will be after that time to celebrate again. But the rules and rituals, simply put, the rules and rituals are not going to be compatible with the way of the kingdom when you compare them to the cultural realities and assumptions that people are doing and relying on. That's where this next image comes in. Okay, so this next image is really, really fun. Because he, he gives two, it's actually two images. And this is where we're going to sit today for a couple minutes. Jesus continues on right after this, and he says two things. First, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth that's new, new cloth, on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. <clears throat> now, what is going on here? Uh, it's, it's probably fairly obvious to the original listeners. In fact, I would say it's very obvious to the original listeners what these images are. And they make almost no sense to us. I mean, we can kind of figure it out, but, um, but it's, it's almost, almost no sense. I used to have my, uh, my jeans patched by my mom. Do you remember those iron-on patches? She did them on the outside. <sighs> Middle school is rough. Um, I had outside patches on the knees. I think other people did it. I don't know. Um, I don't like to look at pictures of myself in middle school. I wore a green sweatsuit 
to school once with a little hood that unzipped in the back so that it lied flat against your shoulders. It was made by Everlast. Okay. Um, so anyways, so, so, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with this, but I'm married to a seamstress, and so things haven't changed that much, and she does some quilts, and she told me that sometimes when you're quilting, if you use different types of fabrics that haven't been worn in, and then you wash it, what you'll get is this little puckering thing um, where, like, the cloth kind of bunches up. So, so we can probably get our minds around this whole idea, you know, unshrunk, shrunk cloth. The next thing about the skins, anybody make wine in here? Okay, what, what animal do you use to store it? I, I prefer the goat, yeah. <laughs> like, like, even people that make wine today, you don't use animal wineskins like you used to. And so this world of wineskins was that when you, when you made wine, uh, the wine would expand because of the um, process of the carbon dioxide being released, and you needed something that was flexible. And so um, if you put brand new wine into something that had been aged or was more brittle, it was going to break down. Okay. So these are not absolutely, um, you know, absolutely ridiculous, totally surprising images. But I want you to t- notice two things. Number one, I want you to notice that there's a wedding theme going on right here. Because the two images are about clothing, new clothing, and about wine. And he's just been, he's just been accused of feasting instead of fasting. Right? So he decides that he's going to lean into this celebration. And he's going to say, listen, let me tell you a couple things about celebration. When you go to a wedding, you need to have new clothes. This is hugely important in Jewish culture. The best clothes. You could tell when someone was walking to a wedding because it was when you brought out the best. And let me tell you something. You don't want to lose or, or, uh, or uh, have the wine spilling on the ground because you need an adequate supply of wine to celebrate all a part of this Jewish culture. All right, so that's number one. But then he's like, is, is his concern, is Jesus' concern about like losing the old the old wineskin, you know, like he says, you know, both are going to be ruined. We need to ask the questions. Was, was he saying, you know, we just, we got to be careful, you Pharisees. Like, I really like what you're doing. And, you know, we, we got to be careful that we don't lose any of this. Well, that's clearly not what's going on. So what is happening? The big thing here um, is, is incompatibility over and over and over. Uh, this is a problem for us. Do you know what this is? This is called a dongle. My kids think it's hilarious. I'm not allowed to act like I think it's funny because I'm an adult and a pastor, but I think it's really hilarious too. Um, But this is a dongle. And the purpose of a dongle is to take one piece of equipment and connect it to another piece of equipment that otherwise would be incompatible. Yeah? It's an adapter. That's That's the less funny name. But we're going to stick with dongle. So... So anyways, there's all these different things, and the the point is, we people, Westerners, maybe just humans, we love to make things fit together, all right? I mean, you can take an old VHS and turn it into a Blu-ray, right? So we we love finding ways, and here's the thing, the newer the technology, the more adapters you need to connect it to the old technology, right? I mean, even, even when we were streaming our sound on Zoom here, you should have seen, I think we had like six different adapters all plugged in to, to get it all working and stuff. And it would really be nice if we could just wirelessly connect, but we don't have that technology yet, not in here. And so, so anyways, uh, we, we make these things, these adapters, because we don't want to let go of the, the stuff that we have that's old because it costs a lot to upgrade everything to new, right? And so, so anyways, um, there are dongles of every sort Adapters that you can get for anything and everything. I remember when I traveled to, uh, to 
um, places in India, you had to have the certain, the certain adapter for your power cord to be able to plug it, plug it in. It changes um, what's happening. All of this kind of stuff is, uh, is, is in front of us all the time. Um, there is nothing that we humans can't fit together. We are brilliant at holding things there. Um, and this is where we run into problems. Jesus presents this image, and, and he says, listen, there's this new tech out there, and your old adapters, they're not going to work with it. You've got to start from scratch. I'm doing something new, and you're not going to be able to hold together old ways of thinking and old allegiances. You can't fit Jesus into your system and just make it work. Okay? You have to build from scratch. We resist this at every angle because we don't want to abandon what we've gotten used to in our lives. We don't want to abandon our comfortable ways of seeing the world. So we think the temptation is just maybe to add Jesus on <laughs> to what we already value. Find an adapter. Make it work. Right? We, we look at these images that Jesus gives. We say, Jesus, huh? you, you realize both of these things can be fixed with duct tape. Right? I mean, like, you put duct tape on both sides of that fabric, that thing will last at least another year, right? And you can duct tape that wineskin up, and you are just good to go. You don't even have to think about it again. It'll be stronger than it was before. Like, we can find a way to fix it. We can find a way to force things together that might break down otherwise, and we somehow, and Americans, whew, we are amazing at linking Jesus to things that Jesus says is not going to work. And we say, oh, we will make it work. We will make it work. And we're probably going to get a little uncomfortable right now. Um, <clears throat> because there are ways that we all do this. And there's ways that we see it done all around us. Um, Jesus says, you're missing the point. There are certain things that are not meant to be able to go together. It will always eventually break down no matter how hard you try. I call these things unholy alliances in our lives. Um, now Jesus is primarily talking about a religious system that had been developed and how it led people to exclude and mistreat others. That's the primary thing that Jesus is talking about right now. It, it required you to constantly be doing a one-up to be good enough for God, right? To make sure that you've done enough sacrifices, to make sure you maintain the purity laws, to make sure that you celebrate all the festivals, okay? So Jesus was calling that out. Um, you know, this... Uh, but I, I think when we're thinking about Jesus' image of a new patch being unable to be sold onto an old one, I think we can expand it for today. I think there's additional areas that our temptation is to try to fit Jesus into or onto, okay, and, and they'll never work. And the first one is pretty directly in line with what Jesus was just talking about, and that is um, our, uh, our religious systems. This is tied on really well here. There we go. Um, so our religious, our religious systems are the most direct parallel that, uh, that we have to this story. But we say, well, no, no, it's different. Because he's talking about like Jewish law and we're under grace in Jesus. And yeah, that's, that's great. But religion by its nature, any belief system, the temptation is to use it to draw lines and exclude. We talked about this a few weeks ago with a bounded set um, approach to, to faith versus um, a centered set on Jesus. So instead of defining the boundaries so that you can keep people in and out, you focus in on Jesus so that you're actually transformed and you are welcoming at the same time. But, uh, but it's, very, it's very tempting for us to miss what, uh, what Jesus wants to do when our religious systems, when our temptations, excuse me, 
um, when our religious systems dictate uh, how we treat others or how we, how we look at things. So my question there is, what might Jesus be inviting you, even in your Christian faith, to begin to see as unhelpful, as old, as not helping you move toward the celebration of God with us and Jesus fully available? What attitudes in your life would Jesus challenge that you might even claim as Christian but don't actually reflect Jesus? Where are you trying to fit things together that Jesus says, hold on, that's not what I intended? What is it? Um, the second thing, or a second thing, uh, that we try to kind of fit, fit in or fit Jesus onto is uh, money and greed. We are brilliant at rationalizing our stuff. And we're told by Jesus himself that money has God-like characters, right? It's funny that we talk about the almighty dollar. Have you ever thought about that phrase, right? Because we worship money with the way that we act and behave. And so often, specifically in wealthier cultures, it's very easy for us to keep our plush, comfortable lifestyles and just add Jesus onto it. And what ends up happening is Jesus then becomes kind of... Um, <laughs> Moralistic therapeutic deism is the way that we talk about it in the, in the uh, kind of theological world, which means Jesus exists to kind of make me feel good um, and like be my like therapist when I need it. And he doesn't change how I behave in the world. It's just all internal. So I can make as much money and use it on my own gains. I can oppress people as much as I want, but like God loves me, right? And so what we do is we end up not actually thinking very carefully about what is God requiring? What does it mean that um, most of us have means and that there are folks who suffer because they lack basic necessities. This is what has driven us to do some of the initiatives that we've done, but it's not enough. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, where am I just kind of adding Jesus to my greed or my view of money instead of starting with Jesus and saying, if I look at Jesus as my absolute center point, what does it lead me to do with my stuff? How, how do I hold it? How do I understand the, my house? Is it a gift to be used by God? Or is it just like a cool blessing to be hoarded myself, you know? What about my time and energy? What about the excess that I might have? What about the things that I could share? So, so that. The uh, third thing is, um, is kind of very broad. Oops. Um, there we go. The third thing is selfish desires, which is super broad. Paul talks about how, like, even as a Christian... You know, his, his selfish desires wage war within him sometimes. And so sometimes we can, again, rationalize just doing what we want and, just, and, and letting that be the first thing. And then we look through the scriptures to find the specific places that Jesus agrees with us about doing the things that we actually want to do naturally. And we reject everything that might be uncomfortable or challenging to us. So we've got this, this thing going on here, too, that we can... Uh, we, Jesus just says, listen... You can't, now, now that's different than natural desires. We're talking about selfish desires that are really about, um, about you being put before all other things. Your wants and needs without care for others. That's different than natural desires or self-care, okay? But we're going to continue on. Um, the, the next thing is uh, national and political identities. Here we go. So national political identities have been one of the things... That have, um, that have created a massive disconnect in our world right now, specifically in the United States, with Christian nationalism. 
And so what's happened is we've taken the values that start with nothing to do with God, but with um, just basic American values, and we've put Christian language on top of it. And so what we end up doing is we end up thinking that the United States um, is like God's representative in the world, instead of that we should exist as people who are U.S. citizens who live for the kingdom of God primarily, and therefore have the freedom to both critique and live alternately to the values of a massive non-Christian kingdom. <laughs> and so, so whenever we start to link up and say, well, you know what, Jesus agrees with all of my political beliefs, then you might be starting with the wrong starting point, right? Or, or you know, Jesus loves me as an American more than he loves, you know, those folks in the poverty-stricken areas or the war-torn areas, and I guess we're just especially blessed instead of what responsibility do we have to love and care for people who are suffering. So, so it's very easy for us—I love uh, Tony Campolo's quote, you know, when, um, when you take uh, Jesus and, and, like, political gain and you mix them together or, or political power, it's like mixing ice cream and manure, and it doesn't do much to the manure, but it sure screws up the ice cream. Right? And so, so, like, we need to be really, really aware that when we link ourselves to political gain, and I'm not just trying to talk, I, I am trying to talk broadly, because I want you each to be able to reflect that, because it's really easy to be like, yeah, they do it so badly. But we have to be aware that this temptation is within us all to want to, um, to, to get our values out in front that often control other people. And we often baptize those values and say that this is, this is Jesus Instead of understanding that Jesus' kingdom will always look different from the kingdom of the world, even the most ideal one, it's always going to be different because the values of Jesus are upside down to the way that big societies work. So we have to maintain our attitude of, of healthy, loving critique and alternate lifestyle, um, of, of living in an alternate way of maybe the, the um, most popular values out there, right, that say, yeah, we'll just leave that there and we'll let you do the uh, internal work that you need to do. And then there's, there's one that's kind of subtle. This is the last one that we'll mention here. But um, family systems are sometimes, um, there are sometimes these, uh, these pieces of fabric that we try to sew together. So we, we say, well, I'm an Italian. We just say it like it is. So I tell people off when I get upset. It's just what we do. And I, if any of you have Italian background, my, my, I had a friend tell me that once, and that's why I'm using that. I'm not trying to come down harsh on any one unique group of people. Or like... You know, I come from this, this uh, kind of uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, um, really passive-aggressive culture where you just don't talk about conflict at all, right? Because you don't want to stir the pot. And so, and so, like, I can't, well, it's just the way that kind of my culture growing up in central Pennsylvania, this is just kind of the way we are. That's not Jesus. But, but so, so the question is, how do we maybe sometimes start with our family system and then tack Jesus onto it instead of saying, Jesus, how might you completely reframe how I relate to those that I love and how I see my own personal identity? And let me start from there. Pete Scazzaro, great quote. Jesus might be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. So what are we going to do to acknowledge that sometimes I might be trying to fit Jesus just into my family system so that I can be comfortable with it? And Jesus is like, you know what? I want to teach you some new skills. I want to teach you how to have hard, wonderful conversations. Or I want to teach you how to hold your tongue a little bit more and offer grace to people a little bit better. 
Or I want to teach you how to reconcile because in your family of origin, when there was a fight, you just cut people off. It might look like all sorts of things. But Jesus challenges us to be different. All right. Um, so so with, with all, of, all of these attitudes, with all of these, um, these, these things that can kind of become problematic in our lives, um, we do rationalize things really, really well. And so the temptation is to adapt Jesus to all of these different priorities. Okay? Um, Jesus reminds us some things you just can't be both. I'm doing something new and it needs to start without any of the connection to your old ways of being that you're trying to link up. Um, so these things are incompatible with following Jesus. Again, not having a family system, but letting that lead the way. Not having um, resources, but the way that you hold them. Not having some sort of a national or political identity, but the way that you act it out and the way that it forces you to think about people. It's all, it's all of these things. Uh, so, um, so Jesus challenges us to not allow that to take over. I thought about um, calling this talk, there are no dongles in God's kingdom, but I thought we might get in trouble with the, uh, with the web searches. So this is all really good news. We're talking about what the good news is according to Mark. The good news. So here's, here's our wrap. Um, how is this actually good news? How is this such amazingly good news? Here's, here's how it's good news, friends. When we start with Jesus as our new wine, then the wineskins that we have to create to hold it will actually have the character and the values that reflect Christ and his kingdom. So the way that we express our religious faith will have the flavor of Jesus. And we can do it with freedom, like child dedications that could be totally rote and empty of any meaning because that's just what we do when a baby's born. Or if Jesus is at the center, it can burst forth with life and, and, and enliven us to be better lovers of our people in the world, right? You know, um, the way that, uh, that we hold our national and political identities will first pass through the lens of the humble, sacrificial Jesus, right? The way that we relate to our family will look less like our family of origin and more like the family of God. In the ways that we hold our possessions and use our, monies, uh, and use our money, we will clearly be expressing the values of God's kingdom. This is what we're talking about. When we find ourselves in God's story, instead of trying to fit Jesus into our existing system— we experience immense life. Jesus called it life abundant. And we experience immense freedom and everything else finds its place. It is not just empty words to say that starting with Jesus actually changes everything and we have to do the hard work of saying, what does that mean? It means personal surrender. It means real time listening for the spirit. It means slowing down to become aware of where these unholy alliances might exist. Um, and secondly, this is good news because our desires um, to, to force these things together, they start to fall away because our allegiance is so firmly rooted in Jesus. So, so the temptation to, to let these things have more sway than they ought to in our lives, it begins to, uh, to, to fall into place because our, our rootedness in Jesus is so clear. So the need for power, the quest for selfish gain, the accumulation, none of it's as compelling as loving God and loving our neighbors anymore. It's really beautiful. 
So the question is this, what's the old cloth um, in your life? What's the old wineskin that you might be holding on to that Jesus might be saying, you got to stop trying to add me to that life and instead start with me instead? What attitudes or identities maybe have you been rationalizing a bit? Um, What's clouded your views of Jesus and the beauty that he brings? And where does Jesus want to cut the cord and set you free? So take a moment to sit with that. We'll... uh, We'll give, we'll give three or four minutes. Um, we'll pray here just a moment and just allow our spirits to settle. And then we'll, uh, we'll take a moment to, to see if there's anything that stirs up. We won't do this for too terribly long today. Um, so let's just sit with Jesus for a moment. Lord, the imagery you give us here is pretty stark. Uh, and yet we kind of know that it's for such a deeper good in our own lives. So give us discernment now. Help us see, help us feel, help us hear um, where you want to reprioritize us, especially as we're at the beginning of this year, Lord. Pray that it might lead us to freedom better trust in you. Amen.